Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another day. Today is 4-12-2022, uh, and we have a special guest today. Uh, we have Rena Brio from the city of Santa Clara, and um, she is the Community Development Director. So uh, we are waiting for our friend Cecilia Muela, who is tardy. Bad, Lacey. So anyway, so um, so we're bringing you, uh, you know, another guest uh, to talk about uh, the concentration on planning and code enforcement, how we co correlate. So with that, uh, we welcome our special guest, Rena. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, Pete. And thanks for having me on. This is a, a real fun experience and I'm really excited to share uh, what we get to do together. So I'm Rena Brio. I'm the Assistant Director of Community Development for the City of Santa Clara. Um, I think I'm going to tell you a little bit about my background and kind of where and why I'm where I'm at or how I got to where I'm at a bit. Um, and I would say, you know, I am from the city of Chicago. Um, I grew up in the city and then we moved to the Burbs when I got older. But uh, for me, I think that that is how I thought about a neighborhood was being in a city, um, taking the bus, um, walking to the neighborhood market. I love neighborhood markets and being able to, you know, just grab things that you need there. Um, and that's just kind of how I was raised. Um, I'm also a first generation American. My parents came just a couple of years before I was born from India and um, definitely have that, um, you know, immigrant experience growing up um, and having other family members join us and grow up with me and that being, you know, the 70s and 80s. Um, so it was a different time, it was a different time. So we, it was a very influential part of my upbringing though. Um, when I, I think the more transformative things for me in how I got into this field was when I, was older um, in my early 20s. I got a chance to work abroad in Nicaragua uh, wow. for a center for street kids. Um, I've always been someone who's like very analytical and like interested in problem solving. But when I got to do that experience, I think that's when it hit me how much I enjoy like concrete community work and seeing your impact locally and the organization I worked with also did micro loans. Um, so I got to work in the community with families and I, I really was interested actually in doing work internationally. Um, but I just, even at that time in my life could appreciate the fact how close I was to my family and wouldn't want to live abroad, right? It's kind of weird, right? So I ironically took a test and I, this is so weird. I, I should have told you this first. I took a test when I was, like 19, like a career assessment test at our career center in college. And um, it said I should be a city planner. Um, wow. And I'd never even heard of it. And I just have to say, like, that never influenced my path. It was just sort of like, oh, what is city planning? Never even thought about it. But after I had that experience in Nicaragua, I really wanted to study more about local impact. And so I went to um, Berkeley, I got a master's degree in city planning. And um, for me, that degree is, it's, it's for people who are unaware of it, you can go and be a city planner, but you can also just do a whole lot of things. Um, and so for me, when I went into that, I was really interested in policy work. I was interested in housing. Um, and I 
narrowed my focus a little bit. I wrote my master's thesis on which, you know, seems kind of futuristic today because like we talk a lot about accessory dwelling units in California now, but that was my master's report, you know, like 20 years ago um, and um, on how we could support affordable housing and the provision of affordable housing in California. And I have to I say this because like, you know, it's just funny how things really do kind of happen over time and there's a little spark you have and it, it kind of, materializes. But I would just say that um, I got to work for the city of San Jose. Um, I did some work for a nonprofit at first. Um, and I just started out being a city planner. And um, I had a wonderful set of mentors. Um, I did current planning, long range planning, got to work on some controversial projects. Maybe we'll get into that at some point. But um, there's, there isn't, you know, we talk now about the great resignation. But like when I was entering the workforce early on, it was the great recession. And um, that city had to cut a tremendous number of people. And the planning department cut a third of its staff and I was one of them. And for those of you who work in local government, you know, when those cycles of the economy hit, you realize, you know, no matter what you do, it becomes very unpersonal, personable, personal, personal. Um, when you get let go, it is because you have a certain level of seniority, right? So for me, that was really hard because I loved my job and I really loved the career. Um, and But there was a reality of just not having jobs at that point in time during the Great Recession. I got a really interesting opportunity to interview for a few jobs that the city did have because that they made that available for the current employees. And I got to interview with our environmental services department in San Jose. And I ended up being the contract manager of the city's largest contract that oversaw all garbage recycling collection processing for businesses for a city, you know, San Jose is the 10th largest city in the country, right? So it was like a real career pivot for me. I still stayed working for a city, but picked up a totally different skill set. And, um, it was working with these contractors who were competitors who kind of personally wanted to see each other fail, but yeah. we needed to bring them together to successfully provide, you know, good customer service, but then also create a diversion rate that we were striving to be like the best in the nation. So that, that was a really interesting career pivot that I definitely did not intend in any way, but I got all these skills from that experience and really looking at customer service models too. Um, and I would say that I then, um, you know, the economy picked up, we got out of the great recession and I thought, you know, I wanna get back into flexing development, like the skills yeah. I built around development. So I went to San Jose's Office of Economic Development and I supported businesses to help them grow in the city, help them come to the city be the advocate because you know things can be difficult if you're trying to get things accomplished you know just navigating the process and so i was um you know an internal advocate and um, i was also out there in the community invisible to people so that they could reach out to me for help and assistance and um i also got to work hey, i also got to work on a um on a program to bring revenue in to the city by those relationships we were making with businesses. And that was um, that was really 
that was just a, it was great to be outward facing, right? Um, rather than, you know, as working internally in the city. And then um, while I was there, it was in the city manager's office. You know, a lot of times it's about exposure, right? Um, yeah. Getting opportunities about who's, who are you working with, right? And so at that point, I, um, they had lost a division manager um, really unexpectedly um, in, that, in that part of, uh, in, in planning. So I was in the city manager's office at that point. And they said, hey, Rena, you know, would you fill in until our recruitment process is gonna take a really long time. Can you step up? We're having some challenges here. And so I went into that team. I was a division manager. I oversaw all of the environmental review, all the current planning projects. We were doing a ton of high-rise development. Um, the BART right project is getting it for those of you who don't know. I know we've got you've got listeners from around um, the country. Um, it's a um, it's really a subway system that connects the entire Bay Area, and it's was getting connected to San Jose and coming in through our downtown. And it's a project that's um, breaking ground right now, but a few years ago, we were still in that process of making sure that, you know, BART wasn't going, was going to be all good through construction. So we were working on those kind of issues. Um, and, you know, I had a great time in that role. I loved, loved like being part of a team and leading a team. And so that's the time really that I got to come over to the city of Santa Clara. And in San Jose, you know, it's like city of a million people. Um, they have multiple divisions, but in Santa Clara, you know, I got to come over as the planning manager and oversee all city planning and, you know, everything, including our code enforcement team. And um, I got to do that for three and a half years. Um, they created a new position, assistant director, and um, it's really to provide that support across the entire department. So it's planning, building, housing. Like I said, we have code enforcement in planning and we also have it in our building division. And so it's been a great, um, a great go. It's, this is a relatively new position for me getting to work across our divisions, but I, I just really love, um, sort of been a meandering career, if you will. Some of it's been intentional, some of it's been not, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's like looking back rear view, you know, it's been all good. Um, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. So that's, that's kind of how I'm here. And, um, just a little snapshot. I don't know if you're going to ask me about Santa Clara for those of people who don't know about it. It's a it's a city uh, about of 120,000 folks, um, and we're in the Bay Area, um, home to many tech headquarters. Um, if you've heard of Nvidia, Intel, Applied Materials, those are companies that are headquartered here, as well as like a lot of just household names are you know, have their presence here. Um, but we're also a community of lots of old historic neighborhoods. Um, and that's a big part of like the code enforcement work we do. We have a university, Santa Clara University. Um, and there's that town gown relationship that our code enforcement team works on all the time. And I would say we are also people, we've definitely been put on the map in recent years because if you follow the San Francisco 49ers, um, the Levi's Stadium is in Santa Clara. So that's entered another element, right, of community relationship with um, a different kind of user. So um, lots of interesting things going on in Santa Clara for a city, you know, uh, of not super large city, but definitely a fair amount of complexity. 
So. Yeah. So first of all, um, so I'm gonna apologize for all my Dodger hats in the back. You and Ceci oh, are yeah. Old, uh, yeah. <laughs> since you and Ceci are 49er fans, I guess uh, I'm assuming. But <laughs> no. So you know, let, let's go back. And what, one of the reasons why we wanted you on the show was, um, you know, um, as as you know, code code enforcement tends to be housed all over the place in public works and you know and in building and code the code enforcement standalone i sit in the city manager's office i've seen it in the city attorney's office so we're all over the place you know we sometimes people say hey we're the uh you know jack of all trades master or none so we just kind of get the uh, crumbs uh, so you know and one of the one of the things is i i think people forget the whole that planning you know even though you have your own function using those uh, land use uh, tools are, are so essential for code enforcement officers. Now, um, you know, I, I have the privilege to work under um, planning in my past. So, you know, I understand the conditional use permits and, you know, and, and I'm going to bring it back to basics because a lot of our viewers aren't in planning or haven't been in planning or, you know, they don't, they wouldn't know how to use a variance or they, they wouldn't talk about, you know, even, you know, like types of you know brownfields or you know environmental issues that that may arise just being you know being part of the planning department you know and sometimes even touching you know you know different types of uh, business or you know yeah and so you know when we talk about how you know in your city there's some in building and some in planning it's you know it, yeah. it's it's crazy because the process should all be the same but in a lot of cities it's not it's just a little bit different so can can you tell us a, a little bit of uh, how um, you know, the, the, the way code enforcement is used in your planning division. Yeah, no. And so in, in planning and, you know, I'll take even 10 steps back because I'm, I'm used to people being like, what do you do all day? Right. <laughs> what is, yeah. what is city planning? And, um, you know, I'm in a room with a lot of maps. They actually happen to be public works maps, but what, <laughs> uh, what planning does is it thinks about the future a lot. Um, it thinks about process and it thinks about engagement of the community uh, to define the future. And so in planning, we have something called the general plan, right? And that speaks to if a piece of land were to develop in the future, what is the community's vision for what it will become? Is it the same land use? Is it like uh, changing? Is it like single family homes and changing to office? Um, is it a new neighborhood in Santa Clara, we're actually building a lot of housing and we are building new neighborhoods. So that that's a part of what does the, what was the vision of what a land will become? And it's also zoning, right? So it's like, what do you deal with, with the uses that are there, there today? If somebody wants to propose a nightclub, for instance, right? Like the community may be okay with the nightclub there, but they might want to talk about it in depth and really understand its operational plan. They want to put limitations on it. So what the zoning will tell you is on that piece of property, what's permitted, what's not permitted, like you absolutely can't do something. And then there's like ways that you can regulate a use. Like as you were saying, Pete, the use permit process, right? Or conditional use, special use. And those take you through a public hearing process usually and then the city can apply conditions on it. Like, hey, nightclub, you have to be done at midnight and you cannot operate on Monday through Thursday, right? Or your noise levels have to be at this certain level. 
And that's really, you know, for us, I think why code enforcement is so important is because it protects that community process and gives power to it. If we've gone, you know, 10 years ago when something was getting built and the community got involved and said, you know, what's really important for us is that someone build an important, like a wall here because we're okay with you having your loading and stuff, but this wall is super important. And then over time, the project gets built and then the wall gets taken down and then there's an issue, right? And really what we have to turn to is code enforcement to say, hey, what, what, what was supposed to be there? And can you get us back to what our community had said they were gonna be okay with? And, and I think that there's that accountability that we do all of this work, but if people aren't accountable for their actions, then like that really devalues that whole process, right? So I think code enforcement is a really important part of planning in terms of implementing that community vision and then also problem solving, right? I mean, you guys spend your day probably not on the easy stuff. You're spending your day on the things that there's like a ton of gray area, right? And how do you navigate that gray area? So I think that that's where planning intersects really well with code enforcement, you know, like, where do we want to go? How are we going to get there? How do we get people to cooperate with us? And they're coming at it from distance, different perspectives, right? So I think that that, for me, that's how planning and code enforcement really work together yeah. is finding people accountable, but also just problem solving. And code enforcement's in that community. Like in Santa Clara, we have, um, a neighborhood relations uh, group, it's called NERC. We meet uh, quarterly and it's to deal with that town gown relationship between Santa Clara University and the neighborhood around it. And our code enforcement officers, after you know years and years of just ongoing challenges, it's now part of like our proactive code enforcement where our code enforcement officers go every week to that neighborhood they're able to see what's happened over the weekend, have people left furniture out, you know, and they have a rapport with the community members. They have a rapport with the students, they have a rapport with the property management companies, they have a rapport with the property owners. And that's like the most important thing, right? And how do you get compliance, right? So we, at the beginning of the year, our code enforcement team literally goes with our police department, knocks on doors, and says, hey, welcome to the neighborhood students. Like, we want to tell you about like our expectations here. And wow. that gives them, yeah, that gives them, <laughs> you know, and we were in a troubling position because, we, you know, year after year, students obviously aren't there all the time, right? They switch up and it was like, well, we would get to a certain place finally and then they would leave and it would be like interacting with new people. So I think they've really gotten ahead of that and they do that proactive relationship building. And then when we need to, there's definitely finding the students accountable. They're not always students, right? There's other issues going on in that neighborhood, but that tension is there between the rotating inhabitants of that neighborhood with the people who wanna be there, like, and just have a traditional lifestyle. So. I think for us, like that's been so important and, and really that's code enforcement, you know, the relationships they build and and the community, instead of them being just like, oh, the city isn't doing anything. They can see that we are trying to, to bridge that gap for them. So um, yeah, that's, that's, I would say 
you know, really, really great ongoing work for us. And here's uh, here's uh, kind of going back to, to something that, you know, we said, you know, in a lot of um, in a lot of towns, uh, code enforcement is in its own silo and planning. It's in its own silo and building. It's in its own silo. And a lot of times they don't communicate. So, you know, and and having been in in a planning division sometimes i see the importance of enforcing these conditional use permits because like you said maybe the nightclub shouldn't be open on monday through thursdays and they're having you know uh tuesday ladies night or something you know and and you know people have to go to work the next day so the music's bumping and you know and and what happens a lot of times folks forget to enforce their own conditions and i'll give you an example because uh, we had a recycling place that came in and part of their conditions was was for them to donate a tree every 57,000 tons of uh, recyclable. Uh -huh. you know, and that was a condition that was put on, but nobody enforced it. And then I come here like 10 years later, I'm like, hey, this guy owes us like a million trees. <laughs> well, we ended up settling, but, you know, it was based on their conditions. And we're like, look, yes, going through the revocation takes forever. You know, and it can get really, really political really fast. And, you know, we sit at a certain level where we understand the whole politics of the, uh, you know, re you're revoking, a, uh, you know, a store's uh, CUP because they're violating this. But at the same time, they're bringing X amount of revenue into the city. And, you know, you get into that, you know, OK, um, you know, the beautiful thing about planning is you're always able to come back and modify your conditional use permit. Some things. You know, and people don't understand that, um, you know, when we talk to these business owners, like a lot of times, yes, you agree to this. I know you can't agree to it anymore because times are changing or, you know, I've seen some crazy conditions. Um, you know, I saw a hotel where like uh, Hispanic couldn't live in the back house. And I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness. You yeah. know, it's still there, but you're not going right. to. Right. It's definitely been part of the storyline. You know, and, and then so so for me, it's important. Like, you know, what do you what do you say to um you know, uh, when you when you get these type of calls, then uh, that you know, uh, CUP hasn't enforced in years, and all of a sudden, you know, the city's asking for enforcement. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it is really, and how you set that up, Pete, is really good because there are consequences for everyone, right? You know, there's consequences for the community when you just go about your business and you don't care about who's around you. And that's, you know, that's something that they need to be aware of because, you know, we all live in our own bubbles where we focus on the world we're in. And I think it's, first of all, making them aware, right? Like the consequences that they're having on others um, and doing that education, giving people the benefit of the doubt to correct themselves. Um, and then, you know, I think that our community looks to us because they don't, one, necessarily feel comfortable going to a business, right? And they look to us because they know that we have authority, right? So I think it's, first of all, communicating to that business owner and then giving them like a plan, like what's your plan and giving them those options for how they can correct and being flexible about it. And I think you're absolutely right, Pete. Sometimes we have things that hem people in and we need to be able to say, hey, these are the options. These are the easiest ways that you can go about addressing this. This is the harder way for you to do it. Um, and I think it's just important for people to understand, like, why do I have to care? Because, you know, Pete, a lot of times, and this happens with noise all the time, right? Mm -hmm. 
like you clock them and you're like, oh, you meet the city's noise standard. But this is actually really irritating to hear this all the time. But I don't have anything that we can, you know, do anything about from a like pressing this as a, like a code issue. And I think that's where, you know, honestly, there's a, a distinction between that community conversation you need to have with someone, right? To say, you know, you're a longstanding business here. You employ tons of people, but your equipment is really loud. And the people who live back here, you know, they experience this all the time. So what can you do about it? And it's not, you have to do something about it. It's what can you do about it? And then sometimes you need to connect the dots for people, right? For instance, if you ever want to expand, we'll have to have a public hearing. And I'm sure the neighborhood is going to talk about their experiences. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I actually <laughs> might want to do that in the future, right? So it, it is like a lot about getting people to comply, even if you don't have the hammer, right? And when you do have a hammer, you still have choices for people, right? You can be like, you can do it this way, you can do it that way. And being the expert, the pro in your field, you can lay out those options for them so that they don't think that they're only hemmed into like one solution. I had a mentor that told me to use the velvet glove. <laughs> How about you? That's awesome. Um, so, Rena, so many, so many great points that you're bringing up. Um, one of one of the things that I wanted to elaborate a little bit on is the importance of the town gown relationship, and and that typically, for those that don't quite understand what that means, town gown relationship is when you have the residents of a community come together with students and faculty of a school that is pretty prominent in that particular area, and it's so significant to have the ongoing meetings. And I was so pleased to hear that you guys invest in and attending those meetings and in your code staff as well because that's how you get that communication started and you start bridging that back that that uh, bridging that gap if you will like you mentioned where you start having the conversations as to what's working what isn't working how can we make it better um, and you start getting that community input and at the same time providing the mechanism for what ordinances say um, how they should be applied how they're going to be applied, the enforcement component of it. So it's really, it's really awesome to see that because that's another facet of community engagement that that we need to see uh, take more practice, right? Especially in these towns and cities that have the large universities and, and colleges uh, within within those particular areas. The one other thing that you mentioned, um, the general plan. Uh, I got to tell you that when I started. In, in the building industry, I had no idea what a general plan was, no idea. And then um, as I started kind of going through the permit teching side of things, the code enforcement side of things, it just kind of forced me to get into the weeds of what is the general plan? How do I use this to enforce? How do, how do I understand you know, what certain things are allowed that are not perhaps in the zoning code, but the general plan allows it and how those kind of interface with each other. And then I had the opportunity in uh, Marin when I was at one of the municipalities there, the uh, director of planning and economic development invited me over to assist as a translator for the general plan update. And I was mind blown. Yeah. I thought it was so great. 
Yeah, and you know what? And and to be able to serve as a translator to the community, to the Spanish-speaking community, and say, hey, exactly what you said, Rina. What do you want to see? What don't you want to see? What's working out? What isn't working out? Um, tell us about, you know, wh whether there are complaints on building, whether there are complaints on code enforcement side of things, commercial, land uses, industrial, whatever they may be. That's really where, it, where the rubber meets the road. Because now you have a voice and a say into... Hey, you know what? I live here, and I want to, you know, build and, and have a family and and have history and and you know basically, you know, lay down some roots. But also, I want to be involved with my community. How do I do that? And that's how you do it. You get involved with all of those planning meetings, the general plan updates, ask the questions. If you see those notices that say, "Hey, if you have any questions, call so and so planner," call them. <laughs> you know get get involved do the things um the other thing too is um early on i heard you mention something about spending some time in nicaragua and i think that is so great because it gives you another perspective of um, construction and architecture and how things are done infrastructure if you will as well that then allows you to kind of open your mind to different ideas different ways of seeing things and viewing things so i could really appreciate that element that you bring into Santa Clara, because Santa, Santa Clara, as everybody knows, is Silicon Valley, right? That's that's the, the tech world, tech capital, Bay Area. They have great places, great eateries. <laughs> um, so it's just a really hopping spot. But it's nice to see that, that additional um, insight that you bring from having experience in Nicaragua that helps you kind of, okay, well, let's look at Let's look at things in a different way, you know, and you have like a different uh, vision as to what you'd like to see, but also taking into account the, the current uh, opinions of your residents. So that I think is really great. Thank you. No, I mean, it's it is really interesting to me just um, being able to get out of the world you're in and try going somewhere different. And it's funny, you know, Cecilia, when I was in Nicaragua, I stayed with a family and they lived on a traditional house that had a patio in the middle, as many houses in Central America have. And in that patio, we would do a lot of things. It was our public, not really public space, it was part of the house, right? But the hillside was around us and covered with, um, I would call like very man-made structures, right? Um, and I would just be going about my day and look up and see like all sorts of people staring at me, right? <laughs> it was just it's like, oh, this is just how life is. Like everyone is comfortable being around each other and there isn't this crazy sense of like privacy, right? I mean, that is that is very much like a an entitled perspective that we have in our Western kind of world, right? And it's just, it's just, um, good i think to get out and experience any different culture i love silicon valley from the standpoint of being around in california in general right but yeah. but being around so much diversity yes and um i did get to participate in the city's redistricting which for those of you who don't know right our census data is out now um every 10 years um, your population around the entire country has changed. And it would be really cool for you to go to the census website and look at those demographics that have that happened in 2020. Like what's the difference between 2010 and 2020? And how has your community changed? 
And are you responding or, to the way that your community has changed in how you provide those services? And so to me, like what's really fascinating about Santa Clara is it has really changed um, from a diversity standpoint. Um, and it has changed very significantly around the Asian community. We have, and when I say Asian, I even put, you know, some people consider Indians Asian, not, I, I consider myself Asian, I'm Indian. So Asian collectively is a much more significant part of our community in Santa Clara. And I think that's, um, that's important to tell that and represent that in our community. So I just, I just throw that in. Thank you for Cecilia for throwing, you know, that's an experience that was formative, but it was a while back. Yeah, no, no, that's, I always think it's so remarkable that the bits and pieces that we take from experiences and travel, right? Because it, again, it, it uh, gives you a different perspective and that allows you to look at life a little broader in the, in the regards that you're looking at how you're pursuing processes and changes in your city, your municipality in, in such a way that you are tapping in to the equitable component of that diversity. Just like you said, and I couldn't agree with you more, you know, when you have that census information in code enforcement, Pete and I are really big at saying you have to learn your craft. You have to have to know your craft. And part of that is, yes, tap into the census, know exactly what's happening in your particular municipality and surrounding so that you can kind of gauge, okay, where do where do I need to provide uh, more service or better service or, or augment my service, right? Whether it's, you know, let's make it, um, you know, accessible in the means of providing translation services or documentation that's in variety of different languages, or let's have town halls or community engagement changes in the form of getting somebody on board that speaks the language that can connect with the community. I mean, there's a variety of different ways that that can be done, but it all stems back to really understanding your craft and diving into learning those aspects of how to effectively engage your community in the most positive way. Um, in addition to that, you know, there was a question about how has your planning background helped you in code enforcement? And I, I will tell you, I'll be the first one uh, to say that in my whole, you know, um, uh, journey in code enforcement and building, we've always had on a wishing on our wish list, right, a planner a planner dedicated to code <laughs> because we run so many code cases yeah, that happen to planning. And so when I heard you say, oh yeah, we code enforcement and planning, code enforcement and building, I'm like music to my ears. Cause that's the dream of every municipality that I've ever known is we want a planner on board because that really helps us, someone that's dedicated to us. But how would you say that that direct experience has allowed you to kind of look at code enforcement in a broader realm and I know you tapped into this a little bit earlier, but how how would you say that allowed you to tap into a broader realm? And in addition, what would you recommend of other municipalities as far as the planning slash code enforcement experience of it all? How they tie in? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think what can be missing sometimes for code enforcement is getting to see the bigger picture, right? Because it is like very assignment based or there's a specific response and I think that what's great about planning is it is all about the big picture, you know, usually like, and that what they need is more, hey, we're going to get into the details of like, if you don't think about this now, you're going to have problems down the line. So it's actually a really great partnership between like 
you know, and you know how many times I've heard like code enforcement say, well, too bad that condition wasn't worded a little differently, right? Because then we would have more teeth or it would have been more effective. And so that's, that's what's, I think, actually a lot more kind of just exposure to each other is really important. Um, and I love, you know, having our, I mean, our code enforcement, literally our, our officers sit right next to um, the planning staff and they come, we have our staff meetings together. We, they sit through some of boring conversations, but they also sit through big picture conversations too. And we hear about the work that they're doing, right? When we've been at shelter in place, right? Everyone's complaining about noise because they're all home to hear it. And is that a new trend for us? Right. Or is that this moment? And we're still kind of unpacking that, right? About noise in general. I don't know how much that's been everything that you guys are talking about here. It's it's a it's a big thing for our community. Noise has become like much more um, much more of a, a daily complaint. Um, and I think that um, having our code enforcement, you know, be the face in the community, but also at our high level meetings, those NERC, the Neighborhood University Relation Committee meetings, happen quarterly and um, it involves like the leadership of the university and it involves the leadership of the city. And then it also involves like our community members, like anyone can get, get in front of our electeds and say, hey, you know, there's a party down the street and it was really loud, right? And they don't have to go to a council meeting for that. They can go to the meeting to talk about these issues and, and get a voice. Um, in front of people who will find other people accountable, right? So um, I think it's great our code enforcement actually not just comes to those meetings, they prepare statistics and share them so that people know like, what are our trends? Like last year, like since our last meeting, this is like where we're at with complaints, violations, people who've resolved them. Where were we last year? Um, so I, I think it's just a wonderful partnership and we honestly both both groups can learn a lot more from each other and just continuing that collaboration um, I think is so important you can really tell when you know people who've worked in different areas they are just overall have like a broader perspective and have different solutions um, so yeah, that's a long way of getting it to what you. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think that's great. So you know, on on a national platform, we we tap into it, and Pete and I have the pleasure of kind of traveling a little bit and getting to meet some amazing folks around the nation. But the one thing that is always true is exactly what you said: is you know, um, being able to learn from each other, not just by uh, sitting and listening, but really contributing and really bringing in some statistics and showing, hey, this is how this is impacting me. So in California. California, for example, we've had in the last handful of years pretty significant legislation that has changed the way that code departments interface with planning and building. And some of those have been our um, ADU, um, state of enforcement, allowance, approvals, um, ministerial uh, reviews um, for quick approval of ADUs and such, um, JDUs or junior accessory dwelling units. So that has really impacted, okay, how do we proceed with enforcement and uh, an allowance if somebody wants 
wants to file a stay of enforcement, meeting, meeting the uh, minimum standards of uh, safety. And in addition, we have SB9 currently, right? That's speaking to um, the home, yeah, home opportunity, housing opportunity, uh, making that more accessible, what that looks like, that Home Act, what that looks like, and how it has the potential of perhaps impacting other uh, parts of our, our building departments or community development, such as building and code enforcement as well. And I, I got to tell you that that is what I found the most, I, I find it the most fascinating. And even for my own code staff, um, you know, I, I always recommend, hey, yeah, I want you to go out to a planning commission meeting or a permit text, go to a planning commission meeting, go um, to a planning meeting, you know, be a staple at those meetings so that you can kind of keep us all in tune of what's coming down the pipeline that has probably a direct effect and impact as to how we issue permitting, how we have to view our permitting so that we can formulate, right, some some feedback for planning as well, because um, in planning, right, it happens the same way as any other department. You guys want to hear from us as well. Hey, how, how can we work together more collaboratively, more efficiently? And that's how we build um, those strong relationships is by saying, okay, I'm coming to a meeting. I'm letting you know our perspective. Then we're going to go ahead and formulate some maybe solutions or responses or whatever that's going to help um, us proceed with our everyday issuance of permitting and, and um, taking in applications and also the code enforcement realm of things. So. I agree. It's really important for us to not just sit and listen, but really contribute. Yeah. You know, Cecilia, what you said actually, it reminded me because in Santa Clara, we're working on a zoning code update. So ironically, our code is from 1969 and we've made like, you know, changes. So it's kind of like this Frankenstein document. Yep. And we have been working for a number of years now to like do a major overhaul. And the things that our code enforcement staff have contributed to are, you know, are going to be, they've been dealing with stuff for years on why our code is not sufficient in tackling those problems, right? So they have given so much feedback and I'm just feeling so much better about this new code that we're going to be putting out where people are going to actually be able to see like, okay, these are things we can actually take action on. And a big one of those is, um, and I know it's kind of working, it's around the whole country, right? Is short-term rentals. Yes. Um, so that was something that right away, I was like, code enforcement team, you guys go find the best practices. What's not working? Let's do this right, right? So they put a lot of energy into crafting these regulations. And people totally take different approaches and we've shared those with the community and we've shared them with our council and they've given us direction on them. But all of that started from really our code team, learning from what was going on, the like really having our hands tied and being like, people expect something different, but as short-term rentals, and that's really interesting. I think that's an interesting use because usually speaking, people want to be able to do it in their house, right? Like. I want to go to Nicaragua and why not, you know, Airbnb my house for a month, right? They, everyone wants to do it in their house, but they never want a bad neighbor who does it, right? So you don't really want a solution that's like a yes, no. You want a solution that's going to allow people that level of comfort that if things are getting out of handle, hand, there's like accountability and yep. you can pull that away. So that's like something though that our code enforcement team is re was really good at trying to massage to get us to that good, I mean, it still needs to be adopted, but I feel like we're in a much better position with that now than we've been in the past. And that that's really our team really diving into that 
and helping us understand how do we make this something we can implement in the community. So one of, one of the things, uh, Rena, that I really love is, you know, when we scour the United States for planning divisions and stuff, knowing the knowledge of anything planning and code enforcement, you'd be surprised that we're so, either we know a lot about zoning or we know nothing about zoning. And it just, it's just insane. So I think when people have an understanding of how planning works, how an ordinance is formed, you know, and working in, in a place where code enforcement didn't communicate with planning so much, and then we hear an ordinance passed like a cannabis bill, and we're like, hey, all of a sudden we have to enforce it. We're like, we had no right. input. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of disservice that code enforcement officers totally. do for themselves when they're not involved or at least aware of what's going on. You know, whether when we're talking about these MECOs or we're talking about, you know, uh, like you said, ADUs and JADUs and stays. And there's a lot of folks that don't go and read these new ordinances that are passed either by, you know, by resolution. And, and to me, it's so important for planning holds the key to a lot of these, you know, yeah. these things. And I think they need to communicate with planning. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's totally right. I also am critical of the fact that we're not engaging code enforcement, right? Like I hear you, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think people who are listening, you know, absolutely raise your hand and say, oh, you're working on a new code. Can I work on that with you? Like, can I read that? Can I give you some input? Um, um, so absolutely empower yourself to do that. But I also think, you know, people who are writing codes, you know, I think we go through this process of listening to the community, right? But like, we need to listen to our internal stakeholders as well, because they have so much insight, you know? And um, that's, that's something that I think, you know, there's improvement on both sides. And it's not perfect really anywhere. I'm really happy that we have that here. Um, more than other places, but you know, it's, um, I think that's great, Pete. I think it would be really wonderful, but I think it's really important for people who are listening to say, you know what, I'm gonna actually add value and I need to raise my hand and get involved in this because what I'm going to contribute is a different way of seeing things than people are thinking about. And they need to be thinking about it right now when we're creating the law. So um, please, you know, don't ask, don't wait to be asked, you know, get yourself in that room, you know, and be a person who's sitting at the table helping to formulate those things. I think, I think you need to feel how valuable your input is in a way that other people can't contribute. And, you know, one, one of the things that's establishing like these ordinances, and I'll give you an example on the short term rentals. I've been on both sides where, you know, I, I've sat it for maybe two years in city council meetings because we have a we had a band we we had they were banned so we had a group of people are like hey it's going to raise revenue city's going to you know benefit from it we're bringing in tourism and then you had this other group like hey this guy you know they keep throwing parties next door so you're going to have a lot of that i'm <laughs> when you're establishing a short-term rental program it's 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 so rough but you know one of the things that that comes out of these regulations and it, you know like uh, like earlier i gave you an example of uh, you know the tree donation thing that we we know we had in our conditions a lot of times it's something simple that a code officer can can say for a conditional use permit hey i removed graffiti within 48 hours of you know something that simple 
where people forget, oh, you cannot leave abandoned cars in the parking lot or, you know, these kind of things. People overlook these, planners overlook this, this. but code enforcement is like, hey, we have this, uh, you know, this uh, shopping center, there's all these vacant cars in the rear lot, you know. So, you know, we add these conditions and say, hey, we need, we need to sit down because this is the potential of what can happen, you know. So I, I think for, for me, planning and code enforcement really need to communicate, you know, on all levels, whether it's, you know, a simple, you know, a lot of planning approval sometimes, you know, it's, it's and, something. And, you know, and Pete, sometimes it's like, it's so prevalent that you are dealing with an issue that it's almost doesn't make sense for it to be a condition of that project anymore. But like, hey, we citywide, we just need an ordinance to deal with this. An example of that is um, we have so many issues around construction parking. You know, people park in a neighborhood with all the workers come, but then they don't address like where are the workers gonna park. So now like with our zoning code update, we have like an ordinance now that's going to deal with if you are going to generate these many construction folks, you know, um, you're gonna have to find a place for them to park. You're gonna maybe need to procure a parking lot and get a shuttle, right? And arrange that, or you need to provide us a plan. And like, that's something Pete, like it just kept coming up and coming up and we're like, well, there's nothing unique about this. This is an, a citywide concern when you're generating so much construction traffic. So I think, yeah, code enforcement has been so helpful. I think to guide, <laughs> you know, guiding how we need to approach things in general. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, if there's something to take out of um, the conversation that we've had is don't don't be the person who sits in the back of the room at the meeting, you know, be front and center, get heard, you know, be that me, me, me person, <laughs> share your thoughts, your ideas, definitely try to invest some time in going to these planning meetings, definitely try to develop a community engagement program. And if you live in a uh, municipality, a jurisdiction where you do find yourself, you know, having to deal with even the collegiate community, the universities, then, you know, establish that town and gown approach that allows you to get out there front and center and do the community engagement in that regard. Um, I think we've we've had just a fascinating time with you, Rena, just really learning everything. But I, I don't want to end the show with simply just all the great things that you shared with us. I definitely want to uh, congratulate you on your promotion. Um, I know Pete and I have been watching you for a while. We're like, oh my God, look, Irina got you know promotion. That's so great. That's really cool. Um, so definitely huge congratulations to you on on your new role. I know it's it's you've been in it for a while, but congratulations nonetheless. Great to see someone of your caliber out there doing the great work that you do and, you know, making those efforts to really, you know, connect and break down those uh, internal silos and get everybody involved and engaged. And so that's always really great to see for sure. Thank you. And I have enjoyed watching you both too, quite a bit. Um, and I'm always, I'm always learning. I'm always learning by whatever you put in front of my path. Um, so thanks for doing that for the broader community. You don't know if that person who's watching you is a planner, right? Who's right. trying to learn more about your industry. Um, and so thank you both. Um, it's been really fabulous to see you out there and not just, you know, promoting the industries, but the individuals. Um, and I really, I really do appreciate the boundaries and barriers you both have broken yourselves. <laughs> 
right? I, I have a full appreciation for that. So thanks for giving back, like, and then some. Um, I, I know there are a lot of people who benefit, so. Yeah, we well, we had to give planning their love today, you know, and we're going to have more planners on it. Because you know what? I think planning is one of those tools that people don't utilize as much as they can because it's an effective tool. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we have so many stuff in building, but planning, you know, revoking, revoking these permits or, you know, the, yeah. you know, dealing with these land uses, you know, even citations, administrative citations are in the zoning code, you know, so. You know, when I was a permit technician, I had, um, and in the particular city that I started out as a permit tech or, or continued as a permit tech, if I will, um, we uh, were charged with not just the issuance of permits and taking applications, but we actually needed to know the zoning code. And so um, I remember when we had a little bit of downtime during those holidays, I took my zoning code and I sleeved it um, with plastic sleeves because I needed to make sure it was protected because, you know, I, I just, I'm tedious about certain things. And I, and I did it specifically so I could have my sticky notes and write on it and then, you know, do like the dry erase. But I would tell everybody, this is my Bible. And I would know when somebody would move my code and I was like who took my zoning <laughs> put it back right now <laughs> because it really it, it you learn so much and I can't tell you enough how uh, I think it's so fundamental to even have your tech or your admin staff really learn that part of the process because they will expand their knowledge base so instrumentally I mean it, it'll be awesome um, so yeah, it, it's definitely something that I, I recommend myself to everybody. If you haven't tapped into your zoning code, get in there, learn it, ask the questions. She's like this with the zoning code. Look. I am. I'm like zoning code. Well, thank you, Rena, uh, for joining us today, City of Santa Clara, proud and center and loving planning over here so thank you and we appreciate your time and thank you for appearing on our show and this will be available in, in a few days on our website so it's codeenforcementeducators.com you can catch this and all about 40 episodes of different podcasts in regards to different topics in our in our industry so thank you so much pete and cecilia i had a great time this morning and right, cool. thanks so much for the opportunity it was so much fun all right, thanks. Totally go by fast. Yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank you.